Um, what, a, what a great way to start a worship today. What beautiful songs we sang today. And they all point to this amazing truth that we're going to be talking about today. You know, as you think about things that are sort of beyond belief, almost too hard to believe, I mean, you, you might have a list of things. I'm, I'm going to add to your list this morning. Things that are hard to believe, but they're true. Um, did you know, for instance, I, and I'm sure that some of you did, because some of you are, you just know these types of trivia things, that both the skin and the fur of a tiger are striped. Did you know that? Both the skin and the fur. And those stripes are like fingerprints because you cannot find two tigers in the world who have the same stripes. That is an amazing fact, isn't it? God, creator, amazing thing. Now, here's sort of another story on a different realm. Uh, did you hear about the lady? Back in 2014, a missing woman was found during a vacation in Iceland when it turned out she was on the search team that was looking for her. Did you, did you hear about that? She got off her tour bus, went in the bathroom, changed clothes, then got back on the bus. And some of the passengers didn't recognize her when she got back on. And so they thought, man, that lady, she's not here. And so they, they went out searching for this woman and she joined the search party not realizing they were looking for her. And when she finally realized it, she contacted the police and they called it off. But they got the Coast Guard out looking and, uh, you know, it seems like somebody would do a head count. I learned that early on in youth ministry. Do a head count. And uh, that figures that. Now here's a, another sort of amazing truth. Maybe you knew this. Maybe you didn't. <clears throat> How many of you knew that the most... Northern, well, let me say it this way. Alaska is the most northern state. Did you, did y'all know that? Anybody here know that? <clears throat> how many of you knew that Alaska was the most western state? How many, how many of you knew, knew that? Okay. Now, here's one. I, if you knew this, I might buy you lunch somewhere. How many of you knew that Alaska is the most eastern state? Raise your hand if you knew that. Nobody knew. I didn't know this either. Uh, now that sounds crazy, but the Aleutian Islands cross the 180th meridian, which is why they are also the most, it is also the most eastern state. That, that's an amazing, almost unbelievable truth, but it's true. How many of you like honey? Anybody here like honey? Okay, now here's another crazy thing. If stored properly, honey will never spoil. You can eat 5,000-year-old honey with no ill effect. And this is honey that they dug up from a tomb 5,000 years old. That's, that's amazing. <laughs> How about this one? A full head of hair is strong enough to support 12 tons. Now, I'm not sure if that's an average head of hair, or maybe a full head, but I, I thought this would be a good comparison. <laughs> I mean, you see Dwayne Johnson, no hair. You see Dwayne Johnson, full head of hair. 
Uh, that's fake, right? Uh, which one could hold the 12 tons? I don't know about that. But here's the reason we're here. There are some things that even Christians have a hard time believing. If you can believe it, you can receive it. How many of you ever heard that? If you can believe it, you can receive it. But some people have a hard time really believing the promises of Scripture. That we could be free from guilt. That we could be free to change. That we could be free to know God's thoughts. Ultimately, we are promised the freedom from this body through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And believe it or not, that is the truth. So we're starting this new series today uh, <coughs> called Beyond Belief. And it's from Romans and 1 Corinthians. And we're going to be highlighting some of those believe it or not promises that are in Scripture. And one of those promises, one of those beyond belief teachings of Scripture is that there is no condemnation in Christ. Now, the promise is there. But the problem is, we know we have sinned. And God knows we have sinned. So it is hard for us to believe that we will be found not guilty when we know we are guilty. Any of y'all tracking with me? I mean, we, we know this is right. So we live with guilt even after we have been forgiven. We can't seem to forgive ourselves, and that causes some pretty traumatic effects for us. We can get depressed. We can get discouraged. We can just give up and give in to whatever we're being pulled down towards. Sometimes we even push Jesus away from us. But Jesus is clear that through Him, we can find forgiveness and freedom and be found not guilty. Friend, that is the big idea for the day. You can be found not guilty in Christ. Even though you are guilty, you can be found not guilty. Now, the scripture we're going to look at today, I think, is one of the greatest scriptures of a hope in the Bible. This scripture teaches us that we don't have to live with guilt and shame once we come to Christ. So, why don't you look with me at Romans chapter 8. And Romans 8 is a powerful chapter in the Bible. You should read that whole thing but Romans 8, beginning in verse 1, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, who gives life, has set us free from the law of sin and death. This is a statement, again, that is almost beyond belief. When you break it down and you think about it, it is one of the greatest promises in all of Scripture. So as we consider it, I want you to think about a story we read in John chapter 8. Now this story, and it's a very familiar story, I think, of a woman 
who was caught in the act of adultery. She was dragged before Jesus and the religious leaders quoted the law which said a person guilty of adultery was to be stoned to death. And what did Jesus have to say about that? Well, Jesus began to write on the ground with his finger, and then he stated, Let anyone who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Well, then they just, one by one, oldest to the youngest, <laughs> walked away leaving Jesus and the woman. And Jesus said to the woman, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, sir. And he said, Then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. Now, I want to be clear, and I think everybody needs to be clear, that Jesus was not condoning her sin. But he knew the hearts of all those men who had stones in their hands ready to cast them at her, he knew that they were just as sinful as she was. Was she guilty? Absolutely. She was caught in the act. Now, it takes two. I don't know where the man was. You know, he should have been dragged before Jesus too. Uh, why didn't they bring him in? I don't know. And those who were judging her, all of them were guilty of sin. And Jesus did not condemn her, but he challenged her to repent of her sin. That's what he meant when he said, go now and leave your life of sin. That's what repentance is. It's a turning away from sin. So when you think about your own life, are you guilty? Are you guilty? Have you sinned? According to the Old Testament law, we are all guilty. <laughs> Did y'all get that? Uh, the, the Ten Commandments. Now, we know that there were many, many, many more commandments in the Old Testament. But the Ten Commandments sort of capsulize the entire law. And as you read through this list, I've included a list in your outline. So if you have your bulletin, you can look in there, and there's a little box in there that has each of the Ten Commandments. I hope you can see well enough to look at that. And as I go through this list, I want you just to check off the commandment that you know that you broke, all right? Now, I promise you, we are not going to be collecting these after service, okay? Uh, and unless you put your name on it, no, even if you did leave it on the ground, nobody would know, all right? Uh, but this is just for your personal, um, I wouldn't say enjoyment, uh, <laughs> uh, but for your personal knowledge. So let's go through that list. One, you shall have no other gods before me. So if there's ever been something in your life or my life that came before God, a person, a, a job, money, things like that, Anything that came before God, that would be having a God before, before God. So if that's ever happened to you, check that little box. You shall not worship false gods or idols. Again, setting someone or something up as the idol of your life. 
Has that ever happened? Check that box. Do not take the Lord's name in vain. We're not going to misuse the Lord's name. When we call on the Lord's name, there's going to be a reason that we're calling on the Lord's name. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. And now let's get into... Now all of those four, they deal with our relationship with God. Let's look at the next six that deal with our relationship with others. Honor your father and mother. Have you always honored your father and mother? Did you always do what they told you to do? Uh, as far as they knew, <laughs> right? Um, how about... This goes to the point of taking care of them when they get older. Are you honoring them? And I know some of you have. You shall not murder. Now, actually, that, you know, you read that in some translations, it says that you shall not kill. But that word really means murder. But when you look in the New Testament, Jesus said, hey, if, if you hate someone in your heart, you have murdered them. So Jesus sort of raised the bar on this. So have you ever hated someone so much that you wish they didn't exist? You murdered them in your thoughts. Check that little box. I don't see anybody checking any boxes, by the way. Uh, maybe it's just because I can't see very well. Number seven is, you shall not commit adultery. All right, that woman was dragged in before Jesus for being caught in the act of adultery. But you know, Jesus raised the bar on this one too. He said, if you lust after a woman who is not your spouse, you've committed adultery with her in your heart. So, have you ever had lust for someone? You shall not steal have you ever taken anything that didn't belong to you? I mean anything. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Have you ever lied? Told something? That, oh, it was just a white lie. I, 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 did you lie? You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or possessions. You know, look at what they have and have jealousy and want what they have. Now, I am going to ask you to do this. If you broke at least one of those commandments, would you raise your hand? All right, somebody, somebody's sleeping out there. Now, I, I, again, I'm not going to go down the list. I'm not going to ask you which specific ones you had a problem with. But if I asked how many of you had broken more than one commandment, how many would raise your hand? Would you raise your hand? Okay. How about if we said, I've probably broken half or more of those commandments. Would you raise your hand? Now, I think if we're all honest, and if we're not honest, that would again be a breaking of a commandment. We would have to raise our hand and say, you know what, I, have, I may have even broken every one of those commands at some point in my life. If you break one law, the Old Testament says, you are guilty of breaking the entire law. Did y'all know that? You may think, well, 
I might have lied, but I hadn't killed nobody. Well, you're still a lawbreaker, no, no way around it. James 2, 10 through 11, For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you become a lawbreaker. Now it would take some person with you know, some wicked thinking to think, well, I never committed adultery. I might have killed somebody, but I never committed adultery. You know, something's wrong with that thinking. So you can think to yourself, I'm not, I've not really committed one of those bad sins. I'm not really guilty. I don't deserve hell. You told a lie, but you didn't murder somebody. In, in your book, you're, you're innocent. You're, you're like one of those little doves flying around. Innocent as a dove. But in God's book, you have still broken the law. You don't feel like you're the only one, though. You shouldn't. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So what I know is that I'm not alone in here today. Every one of y'all are with me, right? No one can pick up a stone and hurl it at you because we would all need to have stones hurled at us. Am I right about that? And this is what gets me about cancel culture today. A little pet peeve here. Something comes out of a person's life that was not public before. Now, we, we loved that person before. We adored that person. They were just, you know, the, the cheese on the sandwich, you know. But now, we know that they're not perfect, and we, they are ridiculed and reviled. But if you were to look at those people doing the ridiculing and reviling, what do you think you would find? You would find sin. You would find failure you would find the same things that they are condemning others for. They have no mercy for others, but you can be sure that if somebody found out something about their life, they would want mercy. Am I right? It is hypocritical. And that's what Jesus pointed out to those who dragged that woman to him. So we should all recognize our sin, not to condone it, but so that we will understand our need for Jesus. You see, only when you know your sin can you know how much you need Jesus. In Romans 6, 23a, the first part of the verse, we read, For the wages of sin is death. What we get as a result of our sin, what we earn as a result of our disobeying God, is that we will be separated from God for eternity. Death means separation. So the verdict is, if we face judgment on our own, what would you say? Guilty? Guilty. The punishment? When found guilty is eternal separation from God, which we call hell. Do you understand this biblical truth? What we deserve, what we earn, is to be found guilty. 
So Paul's words in Romans 8 are beyond belief. We are guilty. We know we are guilty. Everyone knows we are guilty. I know you're all guilty. And all of you know I'm guilty. And this begs the question, how then can we not be condemned? Remember Paul wrote that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the point. Those who are in Christ are not condemned. Those who are not in Christ are condemned. And the reason is we are already condemned because we had broken God's law. Right? In Christ, not guilty. Outside of Christ, guilty. Paul explained in verse 2, Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. Now look, if we don't accept Christ as Lord, we will be judged according to the law of sin and death. That is the Old Testament law. But when we accept Christ, we are judged according to the law of the Spirit. So God has set us free from the old law. Even though we were guilty according to the old law, we are no longer condemned. In Romans 6, 23b, But the gift of God is what? Eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is a gift from God. We deserved to be separated from God forever. But through Jesus, we have eternal life. We stood condemned, but an offer was made. Jesus can take your sin upon Himself, and you can be found not guilty. Isn't that crazy beyond belief? There's no question we're guilty. But thanks be to God, through Jesus, we are not condemned. We deserve the punishment Jesus took upon Himself. Now, I'm not going to make any assumptions here. Uh, there may be some of you that have been to trial before. But if you were going to trial for a crime that you knew you had committed, you knew you were guilty of it, okay? This is not the innocent person going to trial, but you knew you were guilty. Would you take a plea deal? <coughs> Especially if it meant less time to be served. Now, I don't know how many of y'all watch crime shows and documentary. I'm, I'm watching this stuff all the time. So I, I'm an expert in this stuff. <laughs> but I've also talked to people that have gone through these, this, the criminal justice system and how it works. Somebody is accused of a crime. Charges are brought. The prosecution offers you know, they, they got all their evidence together. And they come in, you know, big time. You're going to go away for this long. And then, before the trial, the prosecution offers a plea deal to the defendant. Again, it goes something like this. We have this proof that will send you to prison for the rest of your life. But if you plead guilty to a lesser thing, we will send you away for just 10 years. 
Or you, you, you're going to serve 25 years. But if you plead guilty to these lesser charges, we'll let you stay out of jail. Now, you will serve probation, but you will always be known as a felon. You have a choice to make. Risk going to prison for the rest of your life for 25 years or something like that. And the prosecution saying, we got all this mountain of evidence. Or you can plead guilty and reduce the risk. You could potentially be found not guilty. But again, in this scenario, you know you are guilty. So what do you do? What do you do? You take the deal. You take it. Now, I know people that say, I was innocent and I still took the deal because I was scared that I would be forever in prison. Here's the deal. You are guilty. No question about it. You have sinned. No question about it. The punishment is set. There's no question about that. You know when the gavel falls that you will have to pay the price. But Jesus offers you this deal. Jesus will take all your sin upon himself and you will be free. He pays the price for you. All you have to do is repent and accept him as your Savior. Love Jesus and follow him. That's the deal. Do you take the deal? And yet a lot of people refuse to take the deal. You have heaven and you have hell. Which do you choose? You have being with God for eternity or being separated from God for eternity. What do you choose? Wow, I tell you what. It, it's hard to believe there's even a choice in that. But friend, if you choose Jesus, you are forgiven. Now sometimes it's hard to accept this. We know our failures, we know our shortcomings, we know our sins. We know we don't deserve the offer. We can't seem to forgive ourselves. So it's easier at times just to accept the fact that we are sinners and we are far from God. And that can send us down this dark road where we just give in and think we can't even seek Jesus out anymore. Sometimes we react a little like Peter did. You remember in Luke chapter 5 when you know, Peter and his brother and the others have been out fishing all night. They hadn't caught anything. They came in and Jesus said, Hey, uh, would you mind taking me out so I can get away from the crowd and I can speak to them? They said, Yeah, okay. You know. So they did it. And then after Jesus is through uh, speaking, he says, uh, Why don't you guys cast the nets on the other side? And they're thinking, You know, you're not, you were a carpenter, dude. You're not a fisherman. You don't know what you're. But because you said so, we'll do it. And they threw the nets over there. Boy, the, the boats almost turned over. They got so many fish. And in verse 8, we read, When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Have any of you felt like that? <laughs> I don't deserve to be in your presence. I don't deserve your grace. I don't deserve your mercy. But isn't that what grace and mercy are all about? Is you don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. 
Sometimes we push Jesus away because we can't forgive ourselves. Listen, friend, if that is you, you must believe what I am telling you today. Trust in the Lord and in His Word. He has forgiven you if you have accepted Christ as your Savior. He loves you. He wants you to love Him. In 1 John 3.20, we read, If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts, and He knows everything. If you are dwelling on your failures rather than on Christ's sacrifice to save you, you are wasting an opportunity that is beyond belief. I read this story Max Licato uh, shared about a Chinese man named Li Fuan. He had tried every treatment imaginable to ease the throbbing headaches he was having. Nothing seemed to be helping. So finally, they did an x-ray uh, of him, and this revealed the problem. It was a rusty four-inch knife blade that had been lodged in his skull for four years. In an attack by a robber, Fuan had suffered lacerations on the right side of his jaw. He didn't even know the blade had broken off in his head. No wonder he suffered from such stabbing pain. That was bad, wasn't it? That, that, was, that was bad. But can you imagine living with a knife in your brain? Max Licata goes on to write this conclusion. We, we can't live with foreign objects in our bodies or our souls. What would an x-ray of your interior reveal? Regrets over an earlier relationship? Remorse over a poor choice? Shame about the marriage that didn't work? The habit you couldn't quit? The temptation you didn't resist or the courage you couldn't find? Friends, guilt lies hidden beneath the surface, festering and irritating, sometimes so deeply embedded that you don't even know the cause. If you have accepted Christ, release that guilt and shame to God. Stop dwelling on it and instead dwell on His love, the love that Jesus has for you. Be grateful and thankful for His grace and His mercy. I want you to go back to that courtroom scene. I mean, you've been caught red-handed. The evidence is clear. There's no question you are guilty. You go before the judge and you already know what's coming. You know what the verdict's going to be. You know what the punishment's going to be. You dread what is coming. You've been dreading it your whole life. And as you stand before the judge, your attorney walks up beside you and puts his arm around you. And he says, Judge, I committed the crime. I accept responsibility for it. I accept the punishment for it. And the judge looks at you and cracks down the gavel and he says, I find you not guilty. You're free to go. That's exactly what Jesus did for you. Are you guilty? Yes. Absolutely unequivocally. What do you feel now? You've been dreading this moment your whole life. What do you feel now? Relief. Relief. Mark Moore pointed out in 
the Core 52 study that there are two sides of this relief. Shame is removed by the Holy Spirit as we reconnect to God's family. And now we can cry out to God, Abba, Father. Abba was a Greek word that would be closer to our daddy. Now we're not far from God. Now He is our dad. And we can cry out to Him because of Christ. Shame isn't separating us from God anymore. Guilt is removed by Jesus. Like a defense attorney, Jesus says to the Father, we are not guilty. If the sin is removed and guilt and shame are removed, friend, there is now no condemnation. None. Do you want to be free from guilt and shame? Jesus offers that to you. Take the deal. Now, one more note. Please don't be a shamer. It's interesting the direction our world is going in. I mentioned this a little earlier, but I want to challenge you. Someone's past pops up and everybody's ready to tar and feather the person. What if everyone knew everything you ever did or said? Do you have things in your past that you would be ashamed of? people to know? I would imagine so because I know I have things in my past that I don't want my mama knowing about. Y'all know what I'm saying. And if that is the case, it takes a pure hypocrite to shame others when their guilt is made public. If Jesus says that in Him there is no condemnation, why are we ready to jump on a bandwagon of condemners? Why are we ready to bring A woman caught in adultery before Jesus, drooling over the possibility that she might be humiliated, itching to get the thrill of slamming that stone into her body. Why are we wanting to be those people? There's something sick and sinister about this. Why not put our focus and energy on helping that person who's Life is now turned upside down to find forgiveness rather than condemnation. That is what we want for ourselves. And friend, if you accept Christ as Savior, you will be found not guilty. It should be our hope that all those who love, we love, accept the same deal. Believe it and live it. That's what we're called to do. Because in Christ, there is now no condemnation. Father, we come before you today and we're so thankful and grateful for your love and for your grace and for your mercy. We know, Lord, that we do not deserve what you have done for us. We know, Father, that what we we deserve uh, is to be separated from you. And yet what we get when we come into relationship with Christ, is to be forgiven. Father, I pray that every person here finds that path to forgiveness, to relief, to mercy and grace, and that we would bestow that mercy and grace on others as we try to live around them. 
that we would not join in the chorus of people condemning, but we would join the voice of Jesus who says, neither do I condemn you. Leave your life of sin. We pray this in Jesus' name.